welcome to Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast offering news, analysis and commentary. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 141 and it's 12th of September 2020. Just quickly to explain, this is a slightly delayed episode because last week when we tried to record it was literally like a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> It was just endless. It was one thing after another with like audacity woes, basically. It was like we were not meant to record that day. Yeah, there was a sign from above. Someone was telling us not to contribute to Star Wars discourse that week. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, there has been too much discourse. Thou shalt not pass. Yeah, no. So, but we are back because we're just that irrepressible, clearly. <laughs> well, now we were saying for weeks, oh, there's not much to talk about. And now it feels like there's been this avalanche. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously we weren't recording for a few months. And I was really scraping around trying to find anything to talk about in the news section of the first episode when we came back. Um, and I found a few things, but nothing major. And I feel like there's been at least three or four pretty significant items of news just in the last two weeks so mm-hmm. yeah we're clearly in prime Star Wars season again but yeah we have a lot of letters basically this time because today we're finally going to get to the lovely Ray emails that we asked people for a long time ago now back in spring and they're just so nice and I'm really excited to get to them but there's a lot so <laughs> we need to like storm through this a bit in order to reach that point um, but yeah like there are a few pieces of news that we really wanted to acknowledge um, so the first one is that John Boyega gave a great interview with GQ and I imagine most of the people listening to this podcast will have heard of it and hopefully seen and hopefully read the interview by now but really we just wanted to say what a fantastic courageous interview this is and that if you haven't read it yet please do because what John is saying it applies specifically to his experience about Star Wars but it also indicates these more systemic problems with the industry as a whole and yeah I I really really hope it inspires actual change. Yeah it's a really really important interview so yeah first things first if you haven't read it and haven't found the time to do that yet please go and do so Um, and especially if you're white like we are Mm -hmm. sit with it and um, accept that some things are going to make you uncomfortable and interrogate yourself as to why that might be Um, and I hope that people at Lucasfilm are doing that too because as you say it does relate to Star Wars not in-universe in that this is absolutely not an excuse for fans to start squabbling about the story of Star Wars. Yeah. That's not what it's about, but it's about a black man's experiences um, making these movies um, and in that environment. And I'm just... Uh, it wasn't surprising to me, but it was pretty devastating. And I'm really glad that John felt able to finally talk about this stuff openly. Mm. He's been hinting at it for a while, but to take on Disney and say that is, you know, that that's a big risk that he's taking. Hopefully the entire fandom will be fully in support of him here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and yeah, we will be following this up, obviously, with a proper in-depth discussion about the issues that John talks about in his interview. Um, but basically we didn't want to rush it and pull something out of our asses so we're going to come back with a much more like thoughtful considered discussion like when we've had time to prepare that but yeah no so 
the other piece of news that's come out recently, among other things, there have been quite a few things recently, so excuse me for being slightly muddled, um, is that we have had the reveal that The Mandalorian Season 2 will start streaming on Disney Plus on 30th of October. Um, and we have actually also had a series preview from EW. Um, have you had a chance to check the preview out yet, Kirsty? I have not. I've seen things floating around and I've looked at the pictures. <laughs> Let me see the baby. I was looking at the pictures and I was like, I honestly can't talk about these because if you showed me pictures of season two side by side of pictures of season one and told me which one is from which, <laughs> I would really struggle. I know what you not mean. Not much has changed. Yeah. And to be fair, I do think that they say in this article that season two picks up very close to where season one left off. So naturally, people will look the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like there are some interesting little nuggets in the article. Um, there, for example, is like a nice little bit where um, Fav- John Favreau, the showrunner, is asked, why do you think that The Mandalorian has been such a success? And he said, I think it was the fact it was live action Star Wars on TV for the first time. <gasps> I can't believe that. Like wow. holiday special erasure, the Ewok erasure. I was going to say Ewok movie erasure. I wonder That's what the Blast men think about that. Yeah, I really hope someone's sending that to his inbox. That <laughs> needs to be redressed right now. Sindel <laughs> cameo for season three or, or else. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but seriously, um, John Favreau says, having worked on bigger, high-profile films, there's a much different set of standards that you're judged by. We've benefited from the smallness of our world. And I, I like that, to be honest, because mm. I think that's exactly it. Because I do like The Mandalorian, I enjoy it, but it's like a nice, comfy, cosy, relaxing thing to watch, because mm-hmm. I feel like no stakes when I watch it. It's just... A fun little Star Wars romp where I can tune in each week like it's the 1970s or something. And yeah, it's just nice and calming in that respect. Like the movies are stressful. You know, the movies are so high stakes (laughs) and there's so much drama around them. Like internal, like as in within the stories of those films and external as if as in the fandom that The Mandalorian is just nice and chill by comparison. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's very low stakes. And that was refreshing because it was obviously coming out in the lead up to the Rise of Skywalker, which was very high stakes for a lot of people. Uh, And it sounds so silly because it's all just entertainment. But, (laughs) you know, people listening to this understand. (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's just it is what it is. And um, despite obviously leaning heavily on like the imagery and influences from the original trilogy, like they, you know, they definitely cater to that visually. Um, story-wise it's kind of distinct right like it's it's obviously like in that timeline and that they're contextualizing it as you know the empire's fall and it's just it's after return of the jedi but really it stands on its own um and that's quite nice because yeah anything related to the skywalkers people get really really intense about it us included so exactly yeah (laughs) so yeah like the Mandalorian, it's the right sort of content for all our time at the moment. I think <laughs> they did not need to go from the Rise of Skywalker into something else equally stressful. That would be horrid. <laughs> um, yeah, and they also talk a bit about season two and what to expect, albeit in extremely vague terms, as you would imagine. 
Um, so we have, as Manda and the child continue their quest, expect the bounty hunter to face a series of obstacles that will increasingly challenge his paternal loyalty to his ward. Aww. <laughs> Love your reaction, Kirsty. <laughs> we start very directly after the first season and he's going into very dangerous territory, Pedro Pascal says. He is very much a passenger to the experience in unexpected ways. Not knowing what's to come, not knowing how much or how best to protect the child. We don't know how far he will go to do that. And they're finding new ways to push the envelope. Now, I'm really curious to see what the show will be like now they're like all too aware of that runaway phenomenon that is the child. Because yeah. it's kind of interesting seeing the reaction after the first few episodes started coming out and everyone was like obsessed with baby Yoda but it you kind of got the impression that Disney were a bit blindsided by that they didn't quite expect that which is it was surprising because mm. it's clearly designed to be cute and memeable uh, I know this season was written and like some of it was obviously filmed before season one aired but I'm curious to see if they'll we, we won't know obviously we won't have them side by side but I'm curious to see if they recognise that popularity and then like emphasised that in, in post like just mm. it affected the way that they edited it and emphasised certain things yeah that's a really good point Um, like I regret this now but there is actually mention of this in the article I didn't include that quote because again we're pushed for time and there's quite a bit in there that would be interesting to talk about um, but yeah, like it was basically something to the effect of everyone on set loved Baby Yoda, like during filming of season one, but no one had any idea how much Baby Yoda was going to blow up. So yeah, just reinforcing what you were saying, Kirsty. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's quite endearing in a way that they didn't know because <laughs> you'd think that that would be hundred percent calculated by Disney. Like yeah. when I saw the episode where he's like sipping on his soup, <laughs> and it's the whole sips tea. <laughs> reaction i was like oh they've done that intentionally but now i'm like not so sure they've capitalized on it since for sure yeah it makes it seem less cynical somehow exactly yeah yeah which i appreciate (laughs) have you been re-watching any mandalorian yet i haven't re-watched it um hopefully i will be able to re-watch it before the second season starts Mm -hmm. so it'd be nice to refresh myself a little um but yeah, like if if I don't, I feel like it's the sort of one that's quite simple to pick up, you know. Oh, yeah. Like, and yeah, I, I feel like I still have the story quite clear in my head, so that's one of the benefits of it being so simple. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Could you just read the last paragraph I have from that article, Kirsty? It's just about the villain. Mm-hmm. Mando and the child are pursued by Gideon. That's that's Moff Gideon. <gasps> <laughs> to you, these amateurs. <laughs> who will serve as a source of temptation in the classic tradition of Star Wars villains trying to lure heroes down darker paths. I'll be going toe-to-toe with Mando, says Esposito, who was nominated for an Emmy for his first season performance. It's an iconic battle. I want to disarm him mentally as well. Who knows? Maybe there's an opportunity to get him to fight some battles for me. You may think I'm a villain, but I'm trying to harness some energy and some powers for a path that could be best for all. You'll get to see him be somewhat diplomatic and more of a manipulator. I really like the sound of that. I he he obviously wasn't in it a huge amount, but mm. he made a big impact towards the end of last season and I'm I'm excited to see that character more. Yeah, he had a very striking presence, so I'm looking forward to seeing him come back. So you excited for season 2 of The Mandalorian based on all that, Kirsty? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like excitement. It's different 
from looking forward to a Star Wars movie. But as we said, that's kind of nice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I will watch it every week, but I'm yes. not like on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Yeah, no, like I do find myself reading these articles and they'll they'll refer to the Mandalorian by his actual name that he was given in the first season and I'll like pause and I'll be like, Who's that? And I'll be like, Oh, that's the main character. That's another thing that's kind of nice though. We don't know like I don't know if there is a Mandalorian visual dictionary or anything like that, but I haven't bought any of the surrounding stuff. I know there are like novels coming out and everything, but I'm really content on this one to just sit back and enjoy it as close to like the average audience member as possible quite refreshing (laughs) yeah it just is what it is and that's quite nice so yeah i think for that reason i kind of hope it does stay away to a significant extent from the wider mythology of the saga because yeah i think it bubbles along quite nicely in its own little bubble Mm -hmm. um okay cool and then we have had a very interesting (laughs) interview with daisy ridley by her friend josh gad um, where she reveals some things about the behind-the-scenes process of the sequel trilogy that were interesting. Could you read out the quote I have from IndieWire, Kirsty? Yeah. During an interview on Jimmy Kimmel Live with her friend and Murder on the Orient Express co-star Josh Gad, Ridley walked viewers through the history of changes that were made to raise parentage throughout the production of her Star Wars trilogy. It turns out the earliest iteration of Rey had her being the offspring of Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was one of the more popular fan theories floating around after the release of The Force Awakens. No. At the beginning, there was toying with like an Obi-Wan connection, Ridley said when asked if she had known Rey's origins were in the Palpatine family. There were like different versions, and then it really went to that she was no one. Then it came to episode 9, and JJ pitched me the film and was like, oh yeah, Palpatine's granddaughter. I was like, awesome. Then two weeks later, he was like, oh, we're not sure. So it kept changing. Even as we were filming, I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be. <sighs> I mean, oh that God. much was obvious. You can you can tell from the movie. Yeah, you, you can really tell. But honestly, this just makes me feel so bad for Daisy. I know, it's not fair. It puts her in an impossible situation when portraying that character. So it's like pulling the rug out from under your feet essentially like what do you build the character on if you're lacking that fundamental foundation of what they started out as you know like who are they (sighs) it it baffles me because you know people who've listened to a long time they know that various parentage never really mattered to me so like watching this movie and seeing that they centered ray's parentage despite that seemingly having been put to bed in episode eight so you're centering it and then you're also not able to commit to a decision even as you're filming it um so why does this matter to you and the closest answer i have is when jj's talking in the skywalker legacy documentary about oh we knew that we had to explain where ray's powers came from so that was the motive behind that as opposed to giving ray a distinct arc like they had a specific story they wanted to tell through her about legacy and refuting things and chosen family and all of that they've since like built that story around the decisions they've made and i've seen you know lucasfilm have been doing that since the movie came out and the novelization and everything it's all like padding around that but it's it's in reaction to the choice it's not that wasn't the primary focus because if they'd gone with kenobi or 
anything else, it would have been a completely different story. It would have had completely different implications for Rey and all of the other characters and for the themes of the Skywalker saga, like stretching back across nine movies. Um, so it doesn't surprise me, as I said, it was kind of obvious from how things were set up in the film. Like you never really saw Rey react to the revelation. She never says it out loud herself. It's like other people say it to her, including Luke when he's clearly like Mark Hamill's in a wig in reshoots and Adam Driver's masked. So he could have been saying anything else in the original version of that scene and it's just it's sloppy and I'll never really understand beyond the practicalities of we were on a deadline that they you know Disney refused to budge that so yeah I feel bad for everyone involved to be honest yeah no it's really sad to be honest because it just leaves me so frustrated because like and I know not everyone feels this way. Some people are just adamantly against the idea of Ray Palpatine full stop, like no ifs and buts. But I really do think that if that had been the intent from The Force Awakens and had followed through with that and had that as like the like dark secret at the root of Ray's origins, and then let that feed into her and inform her character and had really explored the ramifications of that and the impact of it on her relationships with the other characters, that could have been a really good story. Of course. But they didn't do that. They didn't want to fully commit to anything. And obviously it all goes back to the fundamental problem of the planning, because there wasn't any. And like I defended the lack of planning, because obviously the original trilogy wasn't planned out in advance. You know, George Lucas had ideas... And he had concepts and he had some endpoints for where he wanted certain characters to get to. But he didn't have it all like neatly plotted out. And I thought that was fine for the sequel trilogy. But I think I perhaps placed too much faith in the idea that they had some things that they knew, you know, and some things that they were committed to. When really, I think Tross just shows they really didn't. Like I said, I don't understand why you would center something like this and not have an answer in mind. Yeah. Um, and then obviously Ryan Johnson came along and gave an answer. And I thought that was very satisfying. And I felt like it fit the character that he had written. I felt like it evolved well from the Ray that we knew from The Force Awakens. And I feel like it did set things up for a very interesting arc for Ray in The Rise of Skywalker because it was at the point where it was like, okay, you have to move forward now. And it's not about looking back and and yearning for you know a childhood with your parents and just kind of accepting life as it is and and you can still have those themes of found family there and in fact they might fit better um i just yeah i just don't understand <laughs> i don't know i keep repeating myself i just um it really surprises me that anyone would start telling a story and have no idea and as you say like not planning as in like every little plot point but like something to say, like the, uh, some yeah. idea of the themes that you want to explore and themes, not just family, love, like actually have a thesis statement, you know, yeah. a, a reason to tell the story beyond making money. Yeah. So I think um, that's why we responded so strongly and passionately to The Last Jedi, because that did have a very, very clear vision behind it. And I feel like of all the movies, that one will endure the best and hold up the best into the future because there was a really strong like vision and sense of purpose behind that film. And it's just astonishingly personal to Ryan, really, in lots of ways. 
So yeah. yeah, it's kind of a miracle that that movie exists, but yeah, it's just a shame that it ended the way it did. Yeah, I don't really have ill will towards J.J. Abrams. Like, I don't mm. like this movie, but I don't feel like he set out to make a bad movie. Or yeah. I just, I'm, I'm kind of baffled at this point. Like, I'm, I'm just a bit like, why are you doing this? Why are you telling stories when you don't have anything to say? Yeah. Beyond like echoing the images of other films that you like. Yeah. And I feel like so, this has been a very long-standing criticism of J.J. Abrams from long before he was ever involved with Star Wars. Because even like an original film by him, so like Super 8, for example, that film is heavily derivative of Steven Spielberg films. Mm-hmm. You know, like in terms of all the tropes and the plot and the, and the aesthetic of the whole thing. Like nothing about it feels truly original there's a great youtube series actually by patrick willems oh yeah i know that yeah, one yeah looking at jj's career trajectory and then predicting what was going to happen with the yes. Rise of skywalker poor patrick though he was still disappointed he was like i didn't want to be right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no exactly he's great like he's very astute he was dead on with his predictions but he didn't want to be right just to be right so yeah i respect him for that yeah my feeling with it is kind of like I'm not angry I'm just disappointed when something fresh comes out like this and I'm, I'm I'm surprised at how candid Daisy's being but I guess it's whatever it's in the past now she she's free to and she's not even like saying it in like a in a value judgment way like she's just literally describing what happened she's yeah. not saying whether it's good or bad she's just telling us a story um but I as you said I feel like this was really unfair to da- Daisy is an actress and I feel like she gave a great performance with what she had but you could tell from it and this is why in our reaction episode I said I felt like it was the weakest of her performances across the trilogy and it wasn't her fault things did not emotionally connect between what the characters were saying to each other and what the story was doing and how things were being expressed like it's very jarring and it's why I struggle to emotionally connect to really anything that happens in this movie and I think really film is just like alchemy, isn't it? Because if you look back to Force Awakens, that was also very rushed. And from what I've read about the behind the scenes of that movie, that was also pretty in flux for a lot of it. You know, there were lots of decisions being made during filming and things changing. Um, like it doesn't sound like quite to the extreme that was happening with Tross, but like it still wasn't completely like firmly like grounded in anything you know like it was constantly being revised but that movie works so so well and yeah like if you it's almost like if you flip a coin tross could have been great but we're not in that universe basically we clearly need to like be able to develop multi-dimensional travel so we can find the universe for tross is good um, <laughs> among other things so yeah i think it was probably easier to do that with force awakens being the opening of the trilogy yeah because there were obviously there were stakes and the, the people were attached to the original trilogy characters and it was this huge choice to make kylo ren the son of han and leia but it, there was just more freedom at that point but in the wrap-up of a trilogy you really need to have these key things established yeah so what we want to do is go into the lovely, lovely emails that have been waiting in the Scavengers Horde inbox for us to read. And oh, it's such a delight to go through these because they're all so lovely and special. And really, all I can say at the outset is I'm very, very sorry that it took so long to respond to these and talk about them on the show. 
um, because we really did value all of the like effort and time people clearly put into their messages. Yeah, it's really lovely. I know this sounds super corny, but it almost it feels like an honor to have mm. people like spend time telling you why they love this character as much as you do, and we all have our own reasons for for loving her so much. So thank you for sharing them. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to try and keep our own comments in between these to a minimum because, you know, we can talk about Ray anytime, but this is your time. So, yeah, exactly. So it's very much just going to be a celebration of the character and why people love that character and what she means to people. Um, just before we get into the bulk of the Ray emails, however, I did just quickly want to read out an email by a listener called Emmy Jean that was a bit of a more general one just about the podcast. Um, because yeah it was so nice and I felt it was important to include it on the show Um, would you be able to read it out Kirsty it's the one I've highlighted hi Rachel and Kirsty I'm a long time listener of your podcast and I thought it was time to let you know what it's meant to me over the years you spoke in your Byron to Ben Solo episode about the power of transformative works and I agree wholeheartedly I've consumed it and produced it and now that the sequel trilogy is over I realise that some of my most positive memories of this journey come not from the canon itself but rather my experience within the fandom and nothing can or ever will take that away from me. I wanted to write and make sure you know that you're a huge part of that experience for me. Through the making of the trilogy, certainly, but I want to thank you especially for continuing to put out compelling content now that the sequel trilogy is finished. Your podcasts have helped me pass my feelings about how it all ended, my disappointments and thoughts, And then the world fell apart, and your podcast has continued to be something positive for me to look forward to. I'm a nurse in Chicago with three young children at home, and when COVID hit, my hospital was immediately in the thick of it. I lost my childcare because of my profession. I lost my usual support systems because of social distancing, and I was going to work every day to face this horrible thing that scared the crap out of me. It was hell, but I knew that at least on my long drive home I could lose myself for a little while listening to your wonderful insights and analysis of a galaxy far, far away. These past few months have been a huge challenge for us all, and the struggle continues. It's just incredibly comforting to know that in the midst of it all, I can go back to your episode about the Christmas special and laugh my ass off. Thank you, and I will continue to listen for as long as you have something to say. Emmy Jean. Thank you, Emmy Jean. That's so lovely. Oh. <laughs> like, oh my god, there's definitely going to be cry time in this episode. <laughs> I, I could feel myself welling up a little just as we were reading that. Like, it's a bit weird doing a podcast, isn't it? Because you record it and then you put it out into the world, and it's easy to sort of detach from the fact that there are other people all over the world who are actually listening to this. Yeah. And yeah, then when you get messages like this, you really do realise that. And it's lovely, you know, that power of connection across the miles and especially at a time like this when life is so stressful and the real world is so unpredictable I'm really really glad we can take your mind away from that for a little bit yeah definitely I mean we said last week when we'd had like months off we were like we felt kind of bad because we knew that a lot of people out there were enjoying that you know weekly dose of content from us Um, and for a lot of reasons we just felt like we couldn't do it for a little while Mm. um but yeah i just i don't know what to say like what a shit year guys (laughs) yeah uh it's been tough for everyone in all these different ways but i i honestly you know i come from a family with a lot of nurses my sister's a nurse my grandma's a nurse um, my stepmom and just thank you emmy jean because i know that it has been just just so incredibly challenging for your profession and the amazing work that you're doing um 
Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Just this year has just been like nonstop in all of these different ways. Yeah. No, it's so full on and... That this will sound corny as hell, but I mean it. Star Wars is obviously about heroes, like waging wars and stuff. But I honestly think that, like healthcare professionals, they're the real heroes. You know, they're as close to heroes as we get in our world, where there aren't lightsabers and there's no force and stuff. Yeah, I, I just can't think of a better way to contribute towards society than that. I think it's amazing, like the caregiving profession. So yeah, thank you so much for what you do too. And yeah, like we will certainly continue to put out content as long as we have something to say. And I think we have quite a lot to say still. <laughs> so, yeah. And hey, yeah. there'll be a new holiday special to discuss soon. Yes. So <laughs> we'll get part two. <laughs> With sequel trilogy characters. So even more investment. <laughs> yeah. No, so look forward to that. Yeah. So thanks again, Emmy Jean. I hope you're listening. And yeah, we really appreciate you. So thank you. Um, okay, awesome. So with that said, I think it's time to move on to our lovely Ray emails. So yep, I'm excited to get into these. So the first one is from Carolyn. I do just want to take a moment and tell you what your podcast has meant to me. I'm about to be 40 this year. Oh, happy birthday. So I fall in that category of people who were too young for the original trilogy when it was in theatres, although I did get obsessed with the original trilogy in the early mid 90s. I missed the prequels, was at university, no car to go to the theatre, no TV, other interests. I actually got super immersed in Star Wars fandom with the sequel trilogy. However, the only people I had to talk to about it were men. Husband, brother, cousins, co-workers. I remember trying to articulate my perspective on the story that was told in TFA and TLJ. It wasn't until I found your podcast that I could do it in a meaningful and articulate way. I think your podcast provided a female-centred narrative and analysis that is missing from mainstream Star Wars fandom. I've since listened to other podcasts that do that as well, but you are my entry point. Your perspective has provided an analysis that I could hook onto and see myself in. Women in the female perspective has, is, still often sidelined in a culture that is still patriarchal. I think your podcast filled that need that I, and countless others, have to find refuge in a culture that doesn't necessarily value our perspective. In your last podcast, you asked about what Ray means to us personally. I have three young daughters, nine, seven, and five. Over the past few months, we have watched Star Wars with them, starting with the sequel trilogy, because I'm obviously obsessed. (laughs) Ray was their instant hero. I tried to show them the original trilogy, but they just kept asking where Ray was and weren't at all interested in the story. Then at school, my nine-year-old and a few of her classmates started passing around The Force Awakens, Ray's storybook. It warmed my heart to see this. In watching TV and movies for my kids, I'm still seeing how not much has changed in terms of female representation in media. Ray broke out of that mould, and I love her for what she means to my own children. I also love that little boys in her class were equally interested in Ray as a hero. I'm sure you have had many people write to you about what Ray means, and I would probably agree with everything people say about her strength, compassion, and perseverance. She also made herself vulnerable, especially in The Last Jedi. For a woman to be vulnerable and heroic, embrace her femininity, and at the same time break out of typical feminine stereotypes... We don't often see this represented in media. She's complex, which is a true representation of us as humans. Oh, that's so nice, Carolyn. I really love that. And especially hearing about the kids and how Ray is their hero. Like, that stuff just warms my heart. Yeah, that's who it's for, really, isn't it? I mean, 
it, it, you know, it's wonderful to hear that you've connected with your daughters over this. But also, you make a great point that Ray appeals to boys as well, just as much. Yeah. Um, because she's a well-written character. She feels real, and people connect to that. Yeah, exactly. I'm really interested for the people who are children now to come of age, you know, for like that seven-year-old like in 10 years what they're going to be like on the internet and whether we're going to see this huge like movement like to defend the sequel trilogy because obviously there's lots of online hate for it at the moment and yeah I look forward to that day oh I think so I mean it's already kind of here like I know and yeah like there was that huge renaissance for prequel fans as, as they got older but I think already there's like this fierce love of these characters yeah but yeah I agree like as those kids get older like it'll just kind of shake up the the kind of emphasis that the fandom places on things hopefully yeah i think it will have real positive implications so that's awesome could you read out the next message from lisa please kirsty mm-hmm. ray to me from the moment i saw her is the star wars character i always wanted growing up i remember playing with my lightsaber with my cousins and they told me that girls can't be jedi i of course never believed that but to see a scavenger girl from nowhere become so powerful while remaining so kind, caring and full of joy resonated with me. For years before the sequel trilogy was released, I fell out of love with Star Wars, but seeing Rey for the first time brought me back and reminded me what it always was that I loved from the beginning, and that was the light and the hope. I'll never forget the feeling from The Force Awakens when the lightsaber came to her. It was a moment of so much power and energy, and to see that coming from a girl who looks like me, I loved it. I relate to her. I want to emulate all the good things about her. Rey, to me, is the light. Thank you, Lisa. Mm, so nice. <laughs> and yeah, like I feel like you just can't be that moment where the lightsaber goes to Rey in The Force Awakens. So I watched The Force Awakens an ungodly number of times in the cinema. And every single time I just got the biggest chills. It was one of the most visceral cinematic experiences for me. It was amazing. It's a really great moment because both characters, like Kylo really needs that to happen. Rey really needs it to happen. The music swells in this really chilling, epic way. Yeah. Uh, the setting is so atmospheric and just feels so real. I mean, they did kind of, they built that set, right? Just for that that whole moment. And I think, like, there's something special about how it's framed. Because I've obviously seen lots of movies before where there's, like, where they're, like, science fiction or fantasy. And there's, like, a girl power moment where, like, the woman's a badass and like gets the weapon or whatever but i feel like there's something quite unique about the way it's presented in the force awakens yeah it's just like ray's own shock i think in that moment you know because she's not like yeah i'm ready for battle she's like ah what's going on (laughs) and yeah i feel there's something very relatable about her response to what's just come about in that moment yeah thinking about the force awakens like i think what part of why I loved it so much and why I think a lot of people love it is that all of those characters Ray, Ben and Finn feel really like vulnerable and like it's okay for them to show fear and doubt in a way that doesn't really come across in like the original trilogy like it's a very different feeling that these kids are just kind of like thrown into these circumstances and I don't know there's like this emotional rawness to it that, that feels quite distinct to the sequel trilogy definitely Um, i think that's what i responded to so strongly so yeah like i'd always loved star wars but i wasn't obsessed until the secret trilogy and i feel like that's a theme for all these emails to be honest because i think most people have been aware of the original trilogy since they were little kids but the sequel trilogy was like that immersion Mm -hmm. yeah 
Okay, cool. I'll read out the next one. This one's from Emily. My name is Emily and I'm 17 years old and I have been a Star Wars fan my whole life. However, Rey has been one of my favourites since I saw her on the screen. She means a lot to me because a year ago I went through a really tough time. I was moving to a completely different state and leaving friends behind, but a family member of mine related something to me that really helped. She told me to be more like Rey. She said that when change comes, and it will, to have courage and be strong, just like Rey. Since hearing that, I always looked up to her character. I was depressed for months, but Star Wars and Rey got me through it. She was strong, brave, and even though she was going through so much, she overcame that. Ray kept me going when I thought I was lost, and that's why she'll always be my favourite character from the Star Wars movie. Her character is relatable to those who feel lost sometimes. Ooh, I really hope that move went okay for you, Emily. Yeah. That's, that's such a lovely email. Thank you, Emily. We hope you're doing well. That yeah. is a really tough moment, leaving home for the first time, right? Yeah. No, that's a really scary thing, like leaving all your friends behind and having a completely new setting. Like, yeah, that that's a lot to deal with. So, and it sounds like you have a great role model for that in Ray because, yeah, that's certainly a character who undergoes dramatic changes in circumstances, often in a very small period of time. So, I'm really happy to hear that you can find comfort in that story in that character. Cool. Could you read out the next one, Kirsty? Yeah. Hi, I'm Ashley and I'm a huge fan of your show. I heard you were requesting emails about Ray and I just had to chip in. As a member of Gen Z who's about to start college, I've spent most of the most, some of the most formative years of my life learning from Ray. In 2015, Ray helped me find myself. In 2017, Ray helped me decide what really matters to me. In 2019, Ray helped me remind me that no matter what happens next, I have the courage and strength to fight any battle. I really loved The Rise of Skywalker, and to me, that last sequence between Ray, Ben, and Palpatine might be my favourite part of any Star Wars movie. When I first saw The Rise of Skywalker, and Ray gathered her strength from the Force and rose to fight Palpatine, I started to tear up. And as soon as Ray died and Ben saw her dead, I just absolutely lost it. That is the most emotional scene in Star Wars for me, because we've watched Ray care for Ben for so long, and we finally got to see him show how much he cares for her. Ray has taught me that redemption is always an option, that a family doesn't have to be only biological, and that your past doesn't define you, and those are super important things for me to remember as I head off to college. Thank you, Ashley. Oh, that's so nice. And I, I will also make a special point to say that obviously it's no secret that Kirsty and I aren't the biggest fans of The Rise of Skywalker, but it still really warms my heart to see messages like this where people like really love that film and like really find this like deep emotional power like in certain aspects of it. I think that's wonderful. And there are some great moments and this one that she's talking about is one of them. Yes, <laughs> no, absolutely. I love a lot of the stuff with Ray, Ben and Palpatine on Exegol. Like, I just love Ian McDermott f- full stop. So just seeing him on screen is great for me. But she makes a really good point about like finally seeing Ben have that. Because we see him have vulnerability with Ray, but like, I guess there's the hut scene where he like shows care for her. But I mean, this is why there's a lot of like disagreement and different interpretations about the characters like some of the time he's not like obviously he hasn't like figured out himself how he feels about her but it's like really nice to finally get to that point where he like is openly expressing that he cares for her yes absolutely yeah that was a very powerful thing to experience in the cinema and yeah like just that moment when he like holds her in his arms for example and you see that amazing acting from adam you know like all the emotion and pain in his face I think that's powerful by any standard. 
but yeah no that's awesome Ashley thank you for the email and really good luck for college I hope you do really well and I'm obviously sure that your experience will be quite profoundly affected by the whole Covid situation so I hope you stay safe great so I will read the next email from Joa oh boy where do I start what does Ray Skywalker mean to me I have always been naive and society always sees naivety as something bad and as a weakness and sometimes I feel weak because I am this way. Then Ray came and I fell in love with the character, not because of power, not because of skills, but because of her heart. Ray is naive like me and this is her biggest strength. In The Last Jedi, Luke says to her that it is not about lifting rocks. Both him and Kylo say her way, her way of seeing things is wrong and by the end of the film, it turns out she is right. It is about lifting rocks, it's that simple. This naivety is also what makes her stronger than her bloodline. I don't know if people have noticed, but The Rise of Skywalker is a movie about how compassion and humility are paid off. She heals the snake, then BBA, inspired by her, activates Dio, and because she helps the droid, he eventually misses her when she is gone, and him and Finn share this, because she looked at him like no one ever had. Because of this, Dio sends plans to the Resistance for their final battle. She heals Ben, and later she is resurrected by him. Kindness pays off and is the right way. And what I also love about her is that she chose who she was to herself, not to others. She is called just a scavenger, nothing in Palpatine by the villains. Finding yourself is something important, and this is why I hug my screen every time I watch the Rey Skywalker scene, because I feel the same way. Rey's way is the best way. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I, I do agree with that, that like what is so amazing about Ray is that just inherent kindness and compassion that she has. Yeah. And that she just trusts in things and that and I know this makes some people mad, but that her story is not about figuring out how to become more powerful or getting better at doing things with the force. Like mm. that's not where her struggles are. Her struggles are much more profound and internal. Yeah. And she really does go on that journey. Definitely. And yeah, I like that point about her naivety and how that isn't portrayed as a weakness. Um, because, yeah, I can be a bit naive sometimes and I'm a little bit clueless, you know, when I go into new situations and I tend to be very trusting of people when maybe sometimes I shouldn't be trusting. So, yeah, I can see a lot of myself in Ray in that respect. And I, I agree with Kirsty that it's quite unusual really to see a character presented in that way and I feel like that's why a lot of people have got distracted by things like the parentage question and the like power levels and the force and all that sort of thing whereas to me that's almost irrelevant you know that doesn't factor into my appreciation of the character because that's not why she's important to me mm -hmm. okay cool could you read out the next email from Amanda please Kirsty yeah, I love your podcast and have been listening for several years. I've really enjoyed experiencing the sequel trilogy alongside you both, and I would be honoured if you choose to include all or part of my submission in your upcoming episode. Growing up, I had always been a casual fan of Star Wars, but was never involved in the fandom to any degree, and I can't say I was really all that invested in the characters. That changed when I saw The Force Awakens on opening night in December 2015. Something about the story, and more specifically about the character of Rey, just grabbed me. I saw the movie three more times that month while I attempted to put my finger on why exactly I was so enthralled with this new narrative, but I knew, even at my not-so-young age, that this was my Star Wars trilogy. Then a few weeks later, in early January of 2016, my husband announced out of nowhere that he was leaving our marriage 
and that the matter was settled and there was no discussion to be had. And just like that, I suddenly had to deal with the shock and emotional upheaval of a divorce that came out of nowhere and that I was not expecting. And all of this was happening right as I was turning 40 years old. To deal with the emotional fallout and keep myself busy, I threw myself into my newly found Star Wars fandom. I saw The Force Awakens ten times in theatres that winter, ventured into online fan forums for the first time and discovered the wonderful Raylo community in your fantastic podcast. I don't mean to sound dramatic, but Ray really was a lifeline for me in this time. Seeing her deal with her loneliness and isolation really hit home for me at a time when I was suddenly thrust into my own situation of feeling so totally alone. Many nights as I would cook dinner for myself and eat alone, I would imagine myself as Ray preparing her dinner in her at-home. I would think if Ray can survive on her own, so can I. If she can be strong, so can I. Having that source outside of myself to look to really gave me support just when I needed it most. So now it's 40 years later and I'm still a proud 44-year-old Raylo. I would love to tell you that my story has a nice neat ending and that I found love again and then it was all worth it. But while I have an absolutely wonderful and supportive circle of friends who've been there for me in every way and who are my found family, I am still single. I have a truly great and privileged life in so many ways and I still hold out hope that I will meet my Ben Solo someday. And so I continue to pull strength and inspiration from the character of Ray, who helped me through a very rough time in my life. She's tough yet vulnerable, grateful yet still seeking, just like me. If she can do it, so can I, and so can all of you. Thank you again for all you do for this fandom. <laughs> That's a very, very emotional email. <laughs> and I think that was very hard for poor Kirsty to read because, yeah, it's just so powerful. And thank you so much for sharing your story, Amanda. Like, I, I'm really glad you have that great circle of friends. And, like, I'm sorry for, like, the rough experiences you've had. But, again, like, as is turning out to be a common theme with these messages I'm so glad that the films and the character and the fandom like have all like helped to make that transition easier for you because yeah I think stories like this just underline why fandom can be so wonderful to be honest that it can offer people like that comfort and that sense of community at times when they're struggling and when life is really really fucking hard <laughs> because yeah like ev everyone has really rough times in their lives and we all have different ways of coping and i personally think that coping through like stories and like the communities that people create around stories i think that's a really wonderful thing so yeah i, I wish you the very best yeah, thank you, Amanda. I mean, that really speaks to the power of storytelling, right? Yeah. Whether you're just enjoying something, watching it by yourself and kind of just relating to the characters and, and keeping it to yourself, or you do decide to share it with others and kind of become part of this community. Yeah, it's powerful and it can help us through these really difficult times. And we see ourselves in the characters and we also see things that kind of inspire us to get through things and... Yeah, that's really wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Great, so I will read the next one and give poor Kirsty a bit of a break to recover <laughs> after that. <laughs> it's just, it's really wonderful to get these because people really are like, you know, being honest and, and vulnerable just like Ray is. And it's just, it's really nice because we're like, obviously we put ourselves out there every week, but we try and keep our own like personal lives to a, to a minimum partly because we don't we assume that people won't be interested but also we just like to be a bit more private but yeah it's wonderful to see people like really sharing deep reasons why ray resonates with them so much 
no exactly like it's really marvelous to get this honesty from people and yeah i think so many people will listen and relate so thank you um okay cool so the next email is from fidelis this is in the gray world and i'm glad you guys are doing a tribute episode for ray the character's impact on me was that the first time she appeared in force awakens i thought i'd wear her clothes I grew up watching a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, and more often than not, I wouldn't jive with the female character's clothes. They started to slant towards primarily making the character more attractive. Sometimes it was blatant, like they'd be tighter or shorter than necessary. Sometimes it was just that they'd inexplicably be wearing high heels, or the cut of their collars would be lower compared to their male counterparts. It makes it harder to identify with a character of your first thought is, but yeah, but why is she wearing that when going to war? Or, but the guy characters are in full armour. <laughs> but if you were to see the odd boot plate or the corset and leather pants get up every now and then, it wouldn't be so bad. It could just be a fun idiosyncrasy of style, as opposed to a strange standard that had followed me from the real world into the worlds I go into for escape. Meanwhile, I was growing into a sense of fashion that prioritised comfort and mobility. I gave up jeans for floppy pants. It's the breeziness of a skirt without fear of it riding up awkward moments, of which I had many. I liked scarves because they were dramatic and kept me warm. I only wore high heels when I risk personally offending someone if I don't. Ray's sensible tunic and flowy shoulder things and loose pants and armbands struck me as both practical and comfy. More to the point, it was my style. When I turned 30, I had a Star Wars party and dressed up like Rey, albeit a dark side version, because that's how I roll. (laughs) I'm thankful for every single female character whose outfits were grounded in character, not necessarily just attractiveness. Leia's white dress, Ventress's Gendi Tarkovsky version in the Hakama, Phasma's armour. It makes it easier for someone like me to step into their shoes, their world, their stories. I was glad to be in Rey's. Thanks so much for doing this podcast and for meeting awesome parts of this fandom. It's made my Star Wars experience all the better. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. And I, I think that's really cool to hear that perspective specifically on the outfit because that's quite a unique take. And I totally agree with that because I love Ray's costume. It's very muted and understated, but it was also one of the things that first struck me about her when I saw her. Because I was like, I I really like that. It's nice and elegant looking, but it also makes complete sense for a character with that sort of background in like a poor sand planet with like no resources, you know. So, yeah, I really like that whole aesthetic she has going on. Yeah, it's pretty awesome that it became so iconic so quickly because it could have just kind of blended into what we knew of like how Jedi always dressed, right? Because obviously she was raised herself on a desert planet it was kind of like in the vein of originally what we saw of like obi-wan kenobi just kind of wearing the beige and brown colored robes but they really make it distinct for ray and daisy wears it so well and it's just like a costume that you'll see forever now in cosplay like it's you you instantly know it's ray and especially with the hair and i agree that it's it's very practical and i'm someone who doesn't wear heels either so i appreciate that too (laughs) yeah no i live in flat boots (laughs) the comfiest things in the world they're great um okay awesome could you read the next email from sidra please kirsty Mm -hmm. ray is someone who had lived through hardship her whole life growing up she had no one to take care of her she had to raise herself fight for herself protect herself struggle every day to survive feeling lonely and scared 
Even after facing abandonment and loneliness her whole life, she never failed to reach out and help others who might be in need, be it a droid or a human. She's not just strong, but also kind, compassionate and selfless. She sees good in people, even if others might think they're too far gone. She's feral and will go to any lengths to protect something that she loves, yet she's soft and vulnerable. She always puts others before her, even if it means sacrificing herself. I love little things about her, like how she gets so excited about the simplest things, like rain, and seeing so much green in her life. It reminds me of what Leia had said, you are Rey, the leaves sing your name. I love her because her story speaks to me in so many ways. She's my Rey of sunshine. She has one of the saddest backstories and deserves so much better. My heart breaks for her because when she'd finally found her belonging and her home, it was taken away from her after a few seconds. She deserved to have her own family. She deserved to be loved unconditionally. I wholeheartedly agree, Sidra. Thank you. Yep. Preach. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder sometimes if the creators are aware of just how sad Ray's backstory is. (laughs) Like, you know, I see it compared to Luke sometimes, and I'm like, they're not the same at all. Luke had a loving home. He was raised by his loving aunt and uncle. Like, he was comfortable in a material sense as well. Like, Ray (laughs) is, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it pisses me off no end when people act like Ray is somehow so privileged compared to Luke. So I'm like, you've Wait, what? got to be joking. Well, like, you, that? usually it's presented in relation to the whole power argument, and it's like, oh, Ray doesn't deserve her power. She's never worked for oh that. My blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, and obviously, no it's one magic. in magic. <laughs> no one in our corner of the fandom hopefully would say those sorts of things but they those things are said in other corners of the internet unfortunately and i should stop going to those corners of the internet for that reason (laughs) but yeah no like i totally agree with everything that sidra is saying here like i think the character really deserved that like happy ending and that like family that she wanted the whole time hmm Okay, awesome. So I now have a long email to read out, which I'm excited to get into. I usually trip over my words, so my challenge is to not do that so much. So this one is from a person who'd like to be anonymous. Um, Right, and I will read. Hello from Chicago. First of all, I absolutely love you ladies. I've been listening to you since your first podcast and I instantly became a fan. I'm currently sick with the plague and I've had so much fun revisiting your old episodes as I lay in bed and recover. So thank you very much for the hours of entertainment. Oh, I hope you're okay. (laughs) I presume because this is a while ago that that's COVID. Wow. So if it is that, I really hope you're okay. Um, Made a full recovery. Ray has had a profound impact on me. I see so much of myself in her. And I never thought there would be a character on the big screen that shared so much of my baggage. I was emotionally abandoned and unwanted and abused, and I have coped with my trauma through blind optimism and denial. The intense loneliness that Ray has experienced perfectly aligns with the attachment wounds that many people in my camp face. I'm terrified to let anyone in, and yet all I I want is for someone to reach out and see me. In The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, Rey's journey seemed to show the steps for dealing with childhood trauma in a healthy way for those who don't have access to therapy. She starts her journey stuck in the muck of her pain, paralysed in a childlike state and unable to break free. By the end of The Last Jedi, she is finally beginning to accept her own story and the shadows it carries. Honouring our demons is brutal, and Rey's acknowledgement of those demons is key to moving forward and growing beyond her trauma. Recognising a given name to our own darkness is the hardest part of the recovery journey. 
Ray goes there. She voices her trauma, and that may be the most hopeful aspect of the trilogy for me. There is finally hope for her to heal her wounds, and it gave me hope for myself. The rise of Skywalker devastated me. I was incredibly bummed about the retconning, incohesive narrative, and, of course, how Ben was thrown away. But the real heartbreak for me was with Rey. In my view, the narrative ultimately spits in the face of her trauma, and either recontextualizes it as misunderstanding, or taunts her for having feelings about her pain in the first place. Her blind optimism demon was right. Her parents may have hurt her the deepest, but it was actually for her own good. Her abandonment demon was right. She got too close to Ben and he left her. Her denial demon was right. As long as she didn't acknowledge the pain, she could bullshit herself into a false state of happiness. This is the opposite of healing. This is giving in to trauma and letting it consume you. I think I will always be saddened by the direction the story took and the implications for those of us who identified so strongly with her. Ray's conclusion truly is a missed opportunity to show us that wrestling with our demons is a fight worth having. There is always hope for a life without the shackles of childhood trauma, and I wish she could have discovered that for herself. Ray will continue to live close to my heart, but her journey is now sadly more of a cautionary tale rather than an inspirational one. I don't want to end up like her, alone with my demons, numb to my own tragedy. I want to break the cycle and move forward with a lightsaber on my hip and a hot soulmate on my arm. Much love from a grateful listener. Wow. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's an amazing piece of writing. I, I really, really love that. And you obviously go to a very deep and personal place. So thank you very much for going there for the purposes of this. Like, I think you dig really deep and you get right to the truth of that character. And yeah, you express it so well. Thank you. Yeah, I obviously don't know the specifics of Anonymous's story. Um, and without going into the specifics of my own story, I really relate to what you're saying here. And it's a big part of why I connect with Ray too. Mm. And why I had so many hopes for the end of her story and resolving and moving forward from that trauma. Um, and, and why it didn't quite work for us. And as we said, it has worked for other people and that's great. But it was pretty difficult. Um, and... I was going to say it sounds silly because it's fiction, but it's not silly, you know, when we get attached to stories and we relate to these characters for really personal reasons. Um, that's wonderful. Yeah. You know, it speaks to the power of the performance and the writing. Um, and it's a shame that it didn't go in the way that we wanted for the character, but we still love her and we've still kind of drawn that hope and inspiration from her in the meantime. So. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's important to not give up hope for the character either. Like, just in terms of the universe of the films, the fictional story, Ray's only 20 at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. She, I like to think she has a very, very long interest in life ahead of her. <laughs> okay, cool. Could you read the next email from Ashley, please, Kirsty? Hello, I've been listening to your podcast since 2018 and I love it so much. Ray and Kylo Ren are my favourite Star Wars characters. Rey means a lot to me as a Star Wars fan, and I've connected with her more deeply than I have any other Star Wars character before. I like that she's a survivor. She's a little hesitant to trust people at first, and she's used to keeping to herself, but she also has a compassionate heart. Seeing her grow into a strong, confident Jedi has meant a lot to me. She helped me to really see myself in Star Wars. I've made several Rey cosplays, and wearing them to conventions brings me a lot of joy. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that email's like a ray of sunshine. I know that's like a cliche. I know that's a cliche, but yeah, that's just really heartwarming. Thanks for sharing that, Ashley. Yeah. Okay, awesome. So I will move straight into Jenny's email. So, hi, Rachel and Kirsty. To say the least, I came away from The Force Awakens feeling Rey was a great addition to the Star Wars cast of characters. She's a solid protagonist, a good everywoman, and I was thrilled by the aspects of this trilogy that were designed with a female gaze slash perspective in mind. I like that she's allowed to be multifaceted, fierce yet vulnerable, compassionate but tough, but what I really liked and connected with was her Rey Nobody identity. In terms of how Star Wars has become this titan of pop culture, that seem in fact immediately made Rey the most identifiable Star Wars character for me. How is this powerful nobody going to contribute to the galaxy far, far away as we know it? How will she change it or be changed? Can the lessons she learns be something we could somehow bring against the forces in our own lives? I thought that was a really worthy and positive theme to explore, especially for a conclusion trilogy, as well as when juxtaposed against a character like Kylo Ren, her equal opposite, the embodiment of that immense and mighty 40-plus year legacy. Their dynamic, read whichever way you like, is the most memorable thread of the sequel trilogy, and of course, I wish that The Rise of Skywalker had given that story a more deserving and thoughtful conclusion. Ultimately, though, I simply enjoy Daisy Ridley's performance. There was something fresh to her acting, like when I watched The Force Awakens and she's on Takadana, with stormtroopers shooting at her. I love that that little defensive reaction she has to a blaster bolt as she reminds herself to unlock her safety. It's barely worth noticing, but I found it endearing and felt like it lent the character a subtle, natural tangibility. Daisy also really sells Ray's self-reliant nature and her resourcefulness with a performance that is so intuitive and smart that I just believe and trust in Ray absolutely. Also, and this goes for any actor, I appreciate her ability to shed literal tears for a scene. Instant respect. As always, love your podcast, love your insights, and I look forward to more. Oh, that's really nice. And yeah, I definitely agree with you about all the Daisy Ridley love. She was tremendous. And she always gave it her all. And she is a big, big part of why that character has been so successful and so loved. Yeah, I was so impressed with Daisy's performance in The Force Awakens. And then I was kind of surprised when I started reading like interviews and that, that she seemed... I guess it's natural to be self-conscious and a bit insecure about it as you're just starting out. But she was so self-deprecating and she really felt like she didn't belong there or know what she was doing. And I was like... If you didn't know what you, we were doing, it didn't show in the performance at all. Like, I thought she was wonderful, and even more so in The Last Jedi. I'm interested to see what's next for Daisy's career. I really feel like what's coming through in a lot of these emails is that there are such nuances to Rey's character that she does have these, you know, she's fierce yet vulnerable, compassionate but tough. Like, you see these different sides to her, and it's so subtle in Daisy's performance because a lot of it's not vocalised. So if you're just paying attention to the dialogue as if you were reading a script, maybe you'd miss it. But just the way she allows things to fly across her face, it's its quite amazing. Yeah, no, she's really remarkable. And I think especially when you remember that The Force Awakens was her first film, that makes it even more special what she pulled off, to be honest. I think she's a real talent. And yeah, I hope she has a long and successful career ahead of her. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's got, and she's so physical as well. Like she's able to yes. do all of these amazing action sequences, but she can also do an incredibly intense emotional scene just between her and another actor. And she really holds herself, holds her own against these 
people who've been acting for decades. So, Daisy, if you're listening, well done. <laughs> yeah, high praise indeed. The whole, like, dozens of emails praising you and your character. What more could you ask for? <laughs> okay, cool. Could you read out the email from Amanda, please? Mm-hmm. What does Ray mean to me? I don't think it can be defined in any one way. It's always been important to me that she was the first young woman in the saga to discover she had abilities in the Force and was actively trying to learn and use them. She was a regular person who hadn't felt special in regards to anything, and now she has a special power. We all want to be special in some fashion. She's also impulsive, makes mistakes, gets attached easily, and isn't afraid to love others who have also made mistakes. Who can't relate to that? Ray is very human. Yeah. No, I think that's so true, and that's a big part of why I think The Last Jedi is so successful, because that's a movie that allows Rey to be so vulnerable and to like go the wrong way and to make bad choices without ever judging her or presenting her as if she's like some foolish creature for having made bad decisions at certain points. And I feel like it's easy to understate how unusual and rare that is because yeah it's quite a special thing to have so much compassion for your female protagonist like there's a lot of judgment in cinema towards women and their choices you know like and this will sound like a bizarre comparison but recently I've been watching a lot of horror films and for example you have the slasher genre and that's a whole genre dedicated to demonizing women for choices that supposedly contravene society's moral norms and conventions. I was going to say, I don't think that's a weird comparison to make at all because it's so tied up in societal notions of how women should express their sexuality in like respectable ways. Um, mm. Yeah, and I, I do feel like that's relevant to Ray. Thank you. Cool. Like as I was saying, I was like, why am I bringing up slasher films? <laughs> no, and it, of course that's not the only genre that does that because this is something that's like prevalent across all mediums of art. Um, yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that race stuck out to us so much as a character because you didn't feel like she was going to be punished for that compassion and trust and um, exploration. Yeah, and I, I don't think she was. I mean. You know, however you feel about the end of the Rise of Skywalker, I don't think there's a direct link in like how we feel like Ray was left by herself. I, I don't, I don't know if I should be getting into that, but I don't, I don't feel like the character is ever punished for her choices. Yeah, and the fact that I was thinking the other day again about the Last Jedi and the fact that we saw her like kind of beat up Luke Skywalker. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> I love and it how... too much. It's elder abuse, but yeah, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, sometimes when I'm feeling a bit more charitable towards people who like really hate The Last Jedi or really hate Rey and really hate what it did to Luke, I'm like, I kind of get it because if I was like super protective of Luke and then I saw this young rapscallion character like, <laughs> young just come beat him up, um, I'd be like, wait a minute, this is disrespectful because um, it is because she doesn't put him on a pedestal. Like, I, I think it's so great. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, sorry, I love Ray beating Luke's ass. It's gold. It's so good. It is good. Oh God, Kirsty, I want to go back and watch The Last Jedi again, which is a good thing. I love that movie. Um, okay, cool. So I'll read out the next email from Seth. Hi, Rachel and Kirsty. Aside from Daisy's grounded, wonderful performance, to me, Ray is the ultimate expression of the Jedi compassion Anakin spoke of in Episode Two. A welcome thematic resonance in a trilogy light on explicit links to the prequels. 
and it's a through line that survives whatever missteps were made with her character in episode 9. Love the podcast. Can't wait to resume commuting so I can once again listen on my bike. Oh, thank you, Seth. <laughs> thank you, Seth. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, however you feel about Attack of the Clones, I, I really do love that line from Anakin. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting one, isn't it? Because it's like, what's his motive here? Is he being truly honest or is he like just trying to sweeten Padme up? Um, but I think it's proven, he's proven right that that is, it has kind of has become a bit of a thesis statement for Star Wars um, and how we're supposed to see the Jedi in, a, in an uncorrupted sense. Like, I, you know, the idea of compassion and love, those things aren't wrong. They shouldn't be discouraged. Um, and of course, Anakin takes it too far and becomes attached in this very possessive sense, um, which is a fatal flaw. But Rey is kind of the antithesis of that, that like proves the rule that actually... You know, Anakin wasn't wrong in that moment. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that Seth also makes a good point about that being one of the very few consistent through lines across all three sequel trilogy films. Because for whatever it sins, I do feel like The Rise of Skywalker was genuinely interested in exploring Rey's compassion and making that a very, very central aspect of her character because it's everywhere in that movie. Like, she's not just defined in relation to her compassion, because there's a bit more complexity to it than that, but it's perhaps her most prominent quality. And, yeah, there's some really beautiful stuff there. Like, I I know some people don't like it, but the scene where she stabs Kylo and then heals him. I love that scene. Thank you. Yeah, I really love that too. And I think that's one of the best pieces of acting from Daisy in all three films. You know, just the absolute heartbreak on her face when she realizes what she's done, and like the shame and all these like co- this complex like maelstrom of emotions that she's feeling in that moment, like it really gets me every time I watch it. So, yeah, that that's something I find really praiseworthy about Tross. Yeah, I and I, so, you know, I love that, but I also understand why other people might be like, well, Ray would never do that. Mm. But it kind of reminds me, in a sense of you know luke fans saying oh he would never do that in the flashback to the last jedi the fact that they make these mistakes in these moments where they are overcome by fear and anger but it doesn't mean that they don't love people or try to put it right yeah exactly like if i were to have problems with it it would be because of like the way it's built up to like in terms of i'm not sure they quite earned ray being angry enough but like i think she has plenty of reasons to be angry (laughs) to be honest so yeah like I I think it's justified but again you can see the other side too um okay cool could you read the email from Lena please hi guys I don't actually know how to put it into words but I wanted to email you guys anyway Ray means the world to me she's good and compassionate and the way she has hope and faith in people and in the causes she believes in makes me want to be a better person I've never loved a character like I love Ray and I can't wait to have more of her whether it's in books or anything Ray put me out of misery and gave me purpose. My love for Star Wars keeps me going every day, but Ray saved me for sure. She's my light and I'll love her till the end of my days. That was kind of dramatic, but it's truth. What can I say? <laughs> May the force be with you girls. I totally agree. Um, yeah, and you're not the first one to say that, obviously, in a lot of these emails. It's that Ray is inspiring. And, you know, if you're having a crappy day, you can think about Ray or watch one of the movies and she kind of makes you feel a bit better. Yeah. 
Now, one of the definite themes coming out from all of this is look to Ray, be more like Ray, <laughs> which yeah, I, I feel like is quite a standard like to emulate. Like, I'm not quite sure I could reach Ray levels because she's obviously like a movie character. You know, she has that like iconic, otherworldly character. But I, I think the reason everyone is like having this really intense identification with her is because yeah she is just that awesome and wonderful but she does also have those frailties and those complexities that we can all relate to as flawed ordinary human beings and not lightsaber wielding force users so yeah yeah that's the thing like she has such boundless compassion and kindness but you never get the sense that she's gonna um be taken advantage of because of that Mm. like she's not a mug (laughs) she draws her line in the sand pretty clearly at the end of the last jedi um and yeah i think that's wonderful she sets boundaries for herself that's really healthy um but it doesn't mean that she doesn't let herself love or you know by the same token she doesn't she doesn't forbid herself from feeling or expressing her anger and frustration and that's really powerful because sometimes you get female characters who are just there to be kind and compassionate Yes. And it kind of makes them into a bit of a doormat. And, and Ray's not that. Like, she she feels all of it. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's so important. Okay, great. I will read the next one from Adriana. What I love about Ray is the first thing I noticed about her, which is the way she cared about others. Here she was, minding her own business when she heard BB-8 in distress. Ray could have ignored his pleas, but she didn't. For me, Ray stands up for the little guy. That's so true. I love that moment. Same. And what is so great about it, as we were just saying, is that Ray is acting out of that like innate kindness and compassion that she has, but she also acts pretty pissed off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> She's like fierce in it, you know? Yeah. She's not like, oh, little baby, come with me, darling. <laughs> yeah, she's even like a bit annoyed at him. So it's not like... <laughs> yeah. She's like instantly in love with BB-8. She does it because it's the right thing to do. And then she like warms to him over time. But I love that like begrudging like, oh, in in the morning you go. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite pieces of acting from Daisy is she does like a little eye roll. Like, oh, I yeah. can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> and yeah, it's just so sweet and so full of character. I love it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Could you read up the next one, Kirsty? Yeah, this is from Sunjung. Hi there, I'm writing this email to send my response for the upcoming Ray episode being planned for the show. This will be a very lengthy one, but I think it shows how much I love Ray. Ray means a lot to me for several reasons. She's my favourite female character in all of Star Wars. When I first saw The Force Awakens, I instantly fell in love with Ray. Not only was she a capable character and a lead, but she was also very relatable, since she had common human desires, such as a sense of belonging with others, as well as human vulnerabilities, such as reluctance and sadness. She felt very human, and for me, aside from Kaz and Star Wars Resistance, Rey is the most relatable character in the franchise and a top 10 Star Wars character. It also helps that I was about Rey's age when her journey started, so her story and my life progressed at the same time. This happened to me previously, since I first saw Episode 1 as a kid only a few years younger than child Anakin, and when The Clone Wars aired, I was about Ahsoka's age. Rey also means a lot to me because seeing a lot of females of all ages, especially little girls, look up to her as a role model feels so inspiring. Seeing multitudes of female cosplay as Rey is great. Oh, and Daisy Ridley did a fantastic job portraying Rey. I honestly hope to get an autograph from her someday. Her theme by John Williams is great as well. With The Last Jedi, my appreciation for Rey grew in multiple ways. She became more complex due to her struggles with and willingness to engage with the dark side in Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo. Her reactions to me were not simple, but rather multifaceted. 
since even though she's a good person, that doesn't mean she distances herself away from the dark and obediently follows others all the time. She had her own desires and goals to follow, which people can relate to. And I really loved the nobody heritage that that film introduced. The idea of anybody becoming big hero was one I never thought of so much until the film introduced that idea to me, and I appreciated Ray more as a result. But that being said, my main real negative is the retcon to Ray's heritage in The Rise of Skywalker. Like many others, I'm not a big fan of that reveal. That being said, I feel like I can accept what happened for a few reasons. One, if a future film either retcons the heritage back to the TLJ one, or recontextualizes the trust developments in an excellent way for Rey, then I can probably feel better regarding what happened. After all, the Clone Wars did that for the prequels, so I feel such a feat as possible. Two, the nobody message from TLJ can still come back in some way in a future film. In fact, I believe that Rebels and Solo do uphold that idea to an extent. See Ezra's utterly vital contribution in The World Between Worlds and Han's contributions to the Rebellion in Solo. In regards to Rey, truth be told, when I saw TFA, I thought she was either a Skywalker or a Solo, but I still really loved Rey despite that thought, and all the positive stuff I talked about her aside from the heritage still holds true regardless of bloodlines. Besides, one of the few good things I think The Rise of Skywalker does for her character is emphasise her compassion, and the film to me supports the idea of how compassion is valuable, since the compassion shown by her and Leia to Ben turned him back, and thus prevented Rey's potential fall to the dark side and allowed her revival. And I appreciate how Rey is not sexualized during the sequel trilogy, so people can focus more on her as a character. So to summarize, my appreciation for Rey comes from her complex character, capabilities, relatability, vulnerability, the introduction to me of the idea of nobodies becoming heroes, and her being a role model to women. In addition to the heritage retcon recontextualization I mentioned, I hope that Rey is still considered to be one of the best Star Wars characters in the future, and more importantly, inspires female fans for generations to come. Thank you for the opportunity to show my love of Ray. That is so well put. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's just lovely. And yeah, I think you really nail it because there is just so much. <laughs> like, and yeah, like I, I feel like with all these emails, I love that with every single one, I feel like every person is bringing out something new that only they have raised. You know, like, I think that's pretty remarkable. So it would have been easy for this, for the emails to start feeling a bit samey, you know, but mm. they don't. Everyone's emails are very unique and very personal. And yeah, I, I feel like this is showing that they have a really great legacy in like Ray and the story they built up around her in the sequel trilogy, because yeah, she, she's just gold. I love her. Yeah. I think it was similar in, when we did the Rose episode and we got all those emails because people love these characters for like, you can pick out the qualities that everyone relates to, but it's for different reasons and everyone expresses it differently and relates to it differently. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of illustrates how rich these characters are in terms of the writing and the performances. Like we, we really were treated to amazing performances in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. No, exactly. We were very lucky. I feel like with every aspect of it, I feel like the casting might have been the most successful part of the sequel trilogy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I feel they really nailed the actors they chose. They couldn't have chosen better people. So I think that's a real credit to the team like involved at every stage. Because people like John Baega, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Kelly Marie Tran, Oscar Isaac. Like, it goes on and on. Everyone was so well chosen. Yeah. I also really appreciate the shout out to Kaz 
from Star Wars Resistance because he's another great character. Yes. Oh my god. Like there, there was so much, you know, like it's like brain overload because of all the information. But you're right. No, I love seeing Resistance. Love. Yeah, and it, it's true that a lot of these characters just kind of have that vulnerability in them. They don't know what they're doing, and they're just trying to live their lives and help out, you know, however they can. Yeah, that's real beauty in that. So I will read out the next email. This one's from Rebecca. Hi, Rachel and Kirsty. I wrote a bit about what Ray means to me. I hope this is okay in terms of length and content. It's perfect. Thank you. Rebecca's my friend. (laughs) (laughs) For me, so much about her character is summed up in Ray's theme in John Williams' score. She is bright and courageous, despite the sadness and loneliness she has faced in life. However, her pull toward the light does not mean she is limited by her virtuosity. I love that we also see her frustration, anger and desire. She has a sense of agency, which feels unique in female protagonists. She is determined to find out the truth about herself, about Ben, and about the Jedi, even when the answers disappoint her. The cave scene in Act O is one of my favourite moments in a Star Wars film, and I'm so pleased that she is given this moment of introspection. I particularly love the line, this didn't go on forever, I knew it was leading somewhere, and that, at the end, it would show me what I came to see. And this is something I remind myself of when things get tough, that there is light at the end of the tunnel, or in Ray's case, clarity in the mirror. Hope you're both keeping well, stay safe. As a lovely email, Rebecca, thank you. And yeah, I, I don't think anyone else has brought up that scene yet with the cave, but I agree. Oh, that is so good. one of the absolute keystone scenes for Ray's character. Like, I just love how weird and strange it is. It's just perfect. I love it. Yeah, it's really bold. Like, I guess it's kind of taken for granted at this point because it's been a couple of years, but, you know, having that voiceover in a Star Wars movie, having this character experience this thing alone, I guess that's maybe more common in the animated series, but in the movies, um, you know, we, we do see Luke go briefly into the cave, but it just just doesn't have that same, like, rawness and emotional intensity yeah. that Ray's does. Um, and I totally agree about Ray's theme. Sanjung mentioned this as well. Like, Ray's theme is so good. Oh, God, yeah, I love it. I, and you know it's successful because you can just, when you hear the words Ray's theme, I can hear it in my head. You know, you can hear those notes, like, na, 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 na. <laughs> It fits the character really well because it has this like sense of hope and optimism in it, but it also has this like sadness to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really lovely. I think it might be my favorite of all John Williams's compositions for the sequel trilogy. Actually, it's mm. just so perfect for that character. I-, I think John's own love for Daisy Ridley comes across. <laughs> you can tell he gave it a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Okay. Great. Could you read out Josh's email, Kirsty? Yeah. First, apologies if this is too late. I've not been in the best place lately. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope you're doing okay. Um, you're not too late because we were really late. <laughs> um, this is Joshua, also known as Lava Castle. Ray, the plucky scavenger from Jakku with The Last Jedi, a character who, when she was first revealed, I'll admit, didn't excite me. I had been out of the fandom for four years and had no intention of returning. I assumed she would just be a rehash of Jaina or some other Legends character, the, ex- the excitement built, though, and eventually I was slowly won over by what the promotion for TFA showed, though I was still convinced it would all be boring and predictable. I kept thinking that as I watched the film on opening night, firmly there, just to stand what I thought was going to be a generic villain, they'd kill off by the end of the movie, but then something happened, something I didn't expect. Ray's theme started. I was taken aback. This isn't Star Wars. This sounds more like a fairy tale, I thought, and I felt something I hadn't felt in a long time. Wonder. 
This wonder washed away all fears every time I thought the predictable thing was going to happen. Ray needing Finn. No, he needed her. Hand fixing the Falcon. No, it was her. Culminating in the end, I thought Luke would arrive and save them. I was so resigned to the fact that they wouldn't be able to resist the temptation of putting him in as the big hero. <laughs> so bored by the very thought. But then it flew to her and I was so happy. The feeling of seeing Ray call that saber to her. I felt like Kylo in that moment. To see my fears be wrong was wonderful. Two years later, The Last Jedi made me love her even more, as in that film I came to see myself in her more than Kylo. After the first film, I firmly saw myself in Ben, the anger at being forgotten, at wanting to make those that hurt me hurt. It was real and visceral to me. In The Last Jedi, I expected it to continue, but much like the first film, something happened I didn't expect. Luke sucked. He was a washed-up loser running from his mistakes and him not living up to what Rey imagined. Forced her to confront hard truths. Truths I and all of us have had to have at some point. That our heroes are flawed, they make mistakes, that we can't wait for them to save us. What's more, Ray began to see herself in Ben. Small aside, I'm still amazed to this day we got Raylo. <laughs> to see that they both suffered in the same way but handled it in very different ways. Kylo wanted to destroy the pain of a family that didn't love him. Ray wanted to pretend they still did care for her. Both unhealthy. But by the end, Ray learned another path that I didn't realise at the moment struck so deep. She chose to move forward, to not let the weight of the legacies and failures of her predecessors weigh her down, to not let the truth that your family doesn't care, this is still painful to admit, break you. I wanted to be like her, I wanted to stop being consumed by the pain that my family doesn't feel anything for me, that the people I place my faith in let me down. I wanted to make something new. I'm still trying to, regardless of what a certain movie says about it. It's an important lesson that resonates with me, I pray one day we get the ray that spoke to me back, that one day may be the lesson that sometimes parents aren't the best, that idols aren't perfect, but that you can be more than that pain will return. Then maybe the fairy tale of an important lesson can be back. I really love Ray. I hope I conveyed that. Sorry for how long this is. I hope the Ray that made me feel not alone is still there. P.S. I love you too, and I hate that I've not written in before. And maybe, uh, you know the rest. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. That's really great. Um, and I agree... <sighs> I struggle with some of the stuff about Rey and the Rise of Skywalker and the whole, like, my parents were strong thing because sometimes we have parents who are not strong and fail us in these very real ways. And it sounds like for Joshua and definitely for me, it was really wonderful to have a character on screen who was dealing with the fact that her parents and family had abandoned her and let her down and to see her kind of grow beyond that and accept it and move forwards in a way that was healthy and we haven't talked about it much in this episode but thank you joshua for bringing it up that there's that parallel with kylo because we, we talked about it a lot obviously like we love that relationship between them and the parallels that they have and kind of what that means for the themes of the sequel trilogy but especially in the last jedi and it is set up in the force awakens you can see the characters mirrored um in their circumstances and how they're reacting to things and how they've let things define their lives and their perspectives yeah no exactly i think that's a big part of why ray and kylo make such fascinating foils to each other like i think they're both great characters but i think they're especially great characters when you view them as complements to each other and you sort of like compare and contrast like how similar they are yet also how different um, so I think that li that yields some really rich observations that really deepen the story and help you appreciate it in a much richer way. And yeah, just to go briefly back to the other point about parents, 
like I, I was thinking about this a bit recently and what it reminded me of is fairy tales and how like the Grimm brothers when they collected certain stories the original versions of those stories would often be shocking because it would be things like Snow White's own mother wanted her daughter dead because she feared that her daughter would be more beautiful than her and would surpass her basically and the Grimm brothers as part of their like moralizing in their attempt to make the stories more acceptable to the public at large they changed it so they made the mother a stepmother so that would be more digestible you know to like a general audience and I kind of feel that what they did with the Rise of Skywalker is something similar because I feel like there is a certain taboo on the idea that yes your real parents can be very flawed people who don't always have your best interests at heart and that's a very difficult truth to confront but I feel it's an important truth and yeah it is a real shame that they didn't fully exploit the potential of that mm-hmm. but yeah no another great email so thank you very much Josh um okay great so I will read the next email from Sarah. We're in the home run now. We're only a few more left. So many great emails. Like I love it. They're all wonderful. Yeah, no, it's been a real pleasure to read them. Cool. So this is from Sarah. My two oldest children have birthdays four days apart plus two years. So for several years in a row, we celebrated their birthdays together with one big party. We'd pretty much invite every kid we knew and have a big party in the park I would create a theme around the party that was something they were both interested in. In 2015, my son really wanted a Star Wars party, but my daughter didn't like Star Wars, so I had to disappoint him. We did a beach theme instead. Then The Force Awakens came out in 2016, and all of a sudden, there was a girl character that my daughter was interested in, so Star Wars became the theme for the big birthday party that year. My son dressed up as Kylo Ren, and my daughter was Rey. I was really glad that we could make my son's dream come true, but my daughter could also feel it was special to her as well. It was my favourite of all those parties that I've planned. Our kitchen garbage can still looks like R2-D2 from it. Yeah, and then she also attached a lovely picture of her daughter, and it was really precious. And she's turning seven. If it has already happened, so obviously I'm conscious that we're reading this email several months after it was sent. I hope they've had a lovely birthday party this year as well. So I think that's lovely to combine it and make it special for both of them. So yeah, and you finish with, great podcast. I love your female perspective and your beautiful accents. Uh, I, I find it so interesting when people say that because you know what it's like, Kirsty, your accent is just your accent. You don't think of it one way or the other, but no, uh, totally. I, I'm very glad it sounds nice to you. So thank you very much. <laughs> um, and yeah, lovely story. Yeah, I have a big smile on my face now. It's just so lovely to hear about kids who love Star Wars and especially kids who are getting into it because of these new films. Yeah, exactly. And, and girls as well who didn't previously care about it and they see someone on screen who's like, oh, wait, so this is for me too. Yeah, no, there's something so powerful in that. Like, because, yeah, my, I feel it's getting much, much better nowadays. But I, I do feel like having people who look like you on screen, like for the longest time there was a very narrow perception of what heroes looked like and that's only just starting to open up like across all sort of lines not just gender lines but also racial ones and yeah I feel that's really wonderful and really important because every kid deserves to have a hero where they can look at that hero and think wow that looks like me and yeah I think that's really beautiful 
Yeah, and that they look like you and also the characters are written with a degree of care that makes you invested and can you can relate to them. Yeah, exactly. It can't you can't just like stop it having like superficial representation like oh look there's a background character they they need to be like richly drawn and actually have a real meaningful role which yeah, yeah. ray ray clearly does so yeah it's wonderful okay awesome so we have just two more emails now so <laughs> as we get into this final final stretch could you read the one from brianna please kirsty yes hello scavengers horde i'm brianna i'm 16 and i'm from california I just recently started listening to your guys' podcast. I love it so much. Ray is my favourite Star Wars character of all time and she means a lot to me personally, so I'm very glad that I found Scavenger's Horde. My sister Kaylee actually introduced me to your guys' podcast because she loves it as well. My sister is also the person who got me into the Star Wars fandom. I became interested in Star Wars when I was 12 and my sister took me to go see The Force Awakens when it came out in theatres. Ever since then, Star Wars has been a huge part of my life. The character Ray intrigued me from the moment I first saw her on Jakku in The Force Awakens. I wasn't even a Star Wars fan when I went to go see The Force Awakens for the first time, but somehow something about Rey made me love her right away. She's a large part of why I became interested in the Star Wars fandom. Like I said before, I saw The The Force Awakens for the first time when I was 12. One year before that, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. I was only 11. I woke up one morning and my dad was on the ground gasping for air because the cancer in the bone marrow of his back was interfering with his lungs. It was the scariest moment of my whole life. My family called an ambulance to come take him to the hospital. The doctors told us that he had cancer and throughout the next year my father went through the process of receiving chemotherapy. That year I began to suffer from an intense anxiety because of my dad's condition. I struggled to breathe. It was hard for me to focus in school and it was hard for me to enjoy the things that I used to. My mum and I eventually made the decision for me to see a therapist. With the help of my therapist and the love of my family, friends and community, I was able to find the strength inside of myself that I didn't even know I had. Once I realised that I was stronger than I believed, I learned how to manage my anxiety. Things slowly got better as time went on. By the time I was 12, my dad was almost done with his treatment and he was doing well. I had greatly improved at managing my anxiety. Even so, it was still pretty difficult. When I met with my therapist after Christmas that year, she asked me what I did over Christmas break. I told her that I saw the new Star Wars movie, The Force Awakens. She told me that she'd seen the movie too. I told her that I really liked the movie and that I loved the character Rey. Then my therapist told me that I reminded her of Rey. I was confused and asked her why. She said that Rey's been through a lot. She was living in a tough situation on Jakku. Her parents left her there and she desperately held on to the hope that they would return one day, because that hope was all she really had. When she met BB-8 and Finn, she was given the opportunity to overcome the struggles in her life by leaving Jakku behind. She made the choice to help BB-8 and Finn escape on the Millennium Falcon. She didn't have to, but she chose to. However, Ray still plans on returning to Jakku after she helps Finn. She still holds on to her past. As the story goes on and Ray eventually realises that the Force is awakened inside of her, she makes the difficult decision to use the newfound strength inside of her to help the Resistance take down the First Order. She used the strength that she didn't even know she had to overcome her past, accept that her parents were not coming back and find a new family in the Resistance. My therapist said that I was like Ray because I'd been through similar experiences. Like Ray on Jakku, I was in a rough situation during my dad's treatment. When I began therapy, I was given the opportunity to overcome what had happened and move forward similar to how Ray was given the opportunity to leave her difficult life on Jakku behind. I found out how, how to overcome my anxiety and move forward when I found the hidden strength inside of myself. 
which is similar to how Rey was able to leave her life on Jakku behind and move forward when she found that hidden strength of the Force inside of herself. Just like Rey, it took some time for me to really let go of what was weighing me down, but my friends and family helped lift that weight off my shoulders. Similarly, Rey's newfound family in the Resistance helped her leave her life on Jakku behind and move forward. I would not be the person that I am today if Rey didn't help me realise the hidden strength that had always been inside of me. I am now a more confident, happy, loving and brave person who is able to overcome my anxieties and keep moving forward. Rey holds a very special place in my heart. I love her so much. Daisy Ridley did an outstanding job portraying the character. So, um, Brianna, um, if you're listening, um, I just want to say that I'm going to take over the um, reading um, here just because like your email is so moving um Kirsty is very understandably a bit like emotional at the moment so I'm going to finish it off Ray is such an important role model for me and girls everywhere her story needs to be heard in fact her story can inspire all people who have had to let go of what was holding them back in life all in all I think that Ray is a very important part of the Star Wars universe I really hope that my story inspired the two of you because you two inspire me you are both very kind, bold, smart and creative. Feel free to share my story in your podcast where you are going to discuss people's race stories. I hope that my story would inspire your listeners. Even if you were unable to share my story on your podcast, I'm so glad and honoured that you even took the time to read this. I hope that you are both doing well in these challenging times and may the force be with you. <laughs> so, so <laughs> sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional now as well. Um, so Brianna, first of all, it's amazing that you're 16 and you're writing like this. Like you are so talented and so like your family must be incredibly proud of you, basically, for you to be able to write like this with so much thoughtfulness and so much self-reflection. Like after everything you've been through, like... I, I can't even imagine going through a situation like that with a parent like that's incredibly difficult for anyone let alone a child and you've done absolutely amazingly to come through that so well and I, I can't understate how awesome it is that you've found Star Wars and the fandom and like even this podcast like helpful in that process of finding strength and persevering for all this like, I think that's really beautiful and awesome. I don't know you, but just reading this and getting a sense for your character from this email, I feel so proud of you and how you've come along, like given everything you've gone through. So feel very, very proud of yourself. You sound like a great person and I, I really hope you have an awesome future ahead of you. Yeah, you're awesome, Brianna. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think it will inspire other people. And I think whatever everyone is going through um if they relate to ray they re relate to her for really strong compelling reasons um that help them in their lives um whatever they're going through so thank you for sharing your story yeah no thank you so much like you obviously go to a really really personal place there and you 100 percent inspired us i promise you um and yeah we're both feeling quite moved actually so yeah, thank, thank you and you look after yourself and I hope you and all your family, especially your dad, are well and doing okay. I was going to say that what she talks about with Ray leaving Jakku but still looking back and still planning to go back there after she's helped Finn and BB-8, mm, yeah. that is really relatable, you know, that sense of of fear of like not wanting to let it go yeah, um, and move forward. Um, 
but there is also the sense of you can never go home so however ray feels about jakku as a home it's where she associates eventually being reconciled with her family so um it's a tough one like you really see her character wrestle with that yeah it's one of those very simple storytelling choices in the force awakens that is the most effective because obviously it's Star Wars, it's in space, it's all very fantastical and detached from our everyday experiences. But the reason it works and the reason why people can write emotional emails like Brianna's is because it does like provide the characters with these real like emotional truths to their journeys and, and their characterizations. And I think, yeah, that is one of them. Like whenever you're about to take your next step forward in your life and there's going to be a big change in your circumstances, a lot of the time your instinct is to hold on and to refuse to let go of what you're used to, no matter what that looks like, even if it's not a particularly great existence. Like it's hard to accept change. But yeah, then you go forward and you tackle the next thing and the cycle continues to an extent. But hopefully you learn and you grow and you progress like throughout all of that and you continue to get a little bit wiser along the way yeah another thing about ray leaving jakku that i've i've picked up on since watching the force awakens but i don't know if we discussed it in depth before is the idea that everyone she meets who hears that she's from jakku kind of scoffs at it and doesn't bother to really interrogate the reason that she's staying there or wants to go back it's just like oh it's a junkyard or un- you know it's from nowhere yeah yeah I, I think that's relatable because in life not everyone is going to know what you've been through or be able to understand it um, and that's just kind of a reality that we all have to deal with like whatever our struggles are and everyone has them to varying degrees um, when you meet someone new they might not really understand or interrogate why you feel certain things yeah so I really appreciate that about Ray. Yeah. No, like she there's just so many layers to that character. It's really fascinating and it's why she's so interesting to talk about. Okay, cool. So that means we've arrived at the final email um which I will read. Um and this one is from Hannah. I didn't grow up with Star Wars. I'm too young to have seen the prequels and theatres, much less the originals. So The Force Awakens was the first time I saw a Star Wars movie in theatres. I saw it in high school, during my prime awkward baby gay phase. (laughs) I remember watching that movie in the theatre with my high school friends, and Rey feeling like this beacon of light. I had watched the Star Wars movies, knew Leia was a feminist icon, and Padme was, and is, my favourite character, but I never saw myself in any of them. Leia felt too distant from me, focused on leading rebellion and developing adult relationships I had no experience with. Padme was all politics and relationships, and though I adored her, that was even more unrelatable. But Rey felt just as lost as I was back then, just as untethered to the world and her family as I was. Like me, she was figuring out her place in the world. She was allowed to be dorky, to make dumb mistakes, to fight and be angry and afraid and even filled with grief. Above all, though, she cared and wanted to help those who couldn't help themselves. It was comforting and so important for me to see someone like her on the big screen then. As her character developed, I loved her even more. She had complicated relationships with her mentors, whose worldview of light side, good, dark side, bad, constricted her. As a closeted lesbian in a religious household, I could see myself in her struggles. 
Her relationship with Kylo, too, was messy and not clear-cut, again mirroring my own relationships as I figured out who I was. Her friends were her rock. They became her home and her family as she continued on her journey. I feel like I'm waffling on here. You're not. This is great. But I saw myself in so much of Ray during that time. Even in Tross, which I have, shall we say, complicated feelings on. Her character and her compassion and love for others. But especially Kylo, let's be real. (laughs) As well as her own resilience in facing her family and fighting to protect those she cared about. Shone through. I may think Palps, being her granddad, was a bit, well, a choice, but seeing her defeat the last shred of her family and then choose her own family resonated so deeply with me. Even the way her relationship with Kylo develops resonates so much more with me now than it did then. Her lesson of love is complicated, and you can't force your help on people, no matter how much you try, and her deep compassion for him is so beautiful to see in a movie like The Last Jedi, and it's a message I think more people need to learn. I can't thank Star Wars enough for this beautiful, messy heroine who is allowed to be warm and compassionate and fight like hell and look ugly while doing it. She meant and means so much to me. And again, though I may not like Tross, seeing her defeat the big bad and shine bright in all her glory made me uncontrollably cry the first time I watched it. I have no idea if I'm too late for this episode. I hope not. I've discovered your pod in the last month or so and have been eagerly listening to your episodes while being on my own this summer. You and Skytalkers have converted me into a Raylo, which I feel I should thank you for. Hope you and yours are well, and that this email wasn't too rambly. Oh, that is so lovely, Hannah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. That's such a wonderful email to close on as well, because yeah, again, like just as with so many of these, it has so many awesome points, and it gets right to the root of why Ray is such an amazing character. Yeah, I hope you're safe and well and that you have people in your life who love and accept you because you deserve that. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you're saying here. Um, Ray has such a complexity to her. She does have that feeling of being lost and trying to find herself, which of course is common to coming of age stories. But just there's something about Ray and Daisy's portrayal of it that just feels on another level to a lot of us, I think. Um. Yeah, and she just has all of these complexities to her. And, and as you say, she's allowed to be dorky. She's allowed to make mistakes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and none of that is, is punished in the long run. That's not what it's about. Exactly. And I feel Hannah also makes an awesome point by comparing Ray to, say, Leia and Padme, because I completely agree with Hannah in that those are both wonderful characters and I really like them, but they're just different types of characters because there isn't really space in the films in which they appear for them to be really flawed or vulnerable. Those characters are pretty much always strong and resolute in the context of their own stories. And like Padme obviously has moments of real like emotion and vulnerability, you know, especially in Revenge of the Sith. But for the most part, you can like see yourself in those characters' shoes in the way you can see yourself in Rey's shoes, you know, which is what makes Rey so special because we have had central female characters in Star Wars before but no one quite like Rey where she was that central point of identification for the audience. She is meant to be the person you look at and you can see your own experiences and your own sufferings and your own hopes and trials and relationships. You can see all those things in her like in some way like because she's 
like a very universal character in some ways like it's difficult to express because it's that thing where she is a very specific character with a very specific set of circumstances but there's also something quite primal and like fundamental about those experiences that means it's easy to see yourself in them does that make sense Kirsty? so i feel like i'm rambling now (laughs) no i agree there's this universality to her and, and i say that with the caveat that daisy is a white conventionally attractive young woman and she's slim and she she's not certainly not representative of everyone who loves that character or everyone who feels this burning need to see themselves on screen absolutely not i'm definitely not implying that but the way that ray's written she does have this complexity to her that as you say like she has this story but everyone i i hope everyone can like look at her and recognize her feelings and where she's coming from even if your circumstances aren't exactly the same because she's in a fairy tale um that's that's how i feel about ray and i know it's how you feel about ray and it's how a lot of other people feel so it's really wonderful and i hope daisy knows that because i i think one of the things obviously is not specific to the rise of skywalker it's been across the trilogy where she's been asked on press tours endless questions about ray's parentage i hope she knows that a lot of people love this character way beyond that question yeah and that for a lot of us that never mattered in the first place yeah exactly like the vast majority of these emails the points that people have been bringing up to explain why they love the character it has nothing to do with who her parents happen to be like that is yeah. not fundamental to the character in terms of why people find her moving and powerful and like her story and relate to it like that's not why the character works for most of us i think um and yeah like i would love for daisy ridley to be able to see these emails or hear them you know like i, I obviously i'm not about to like send our podcast with these emails <laughs> to her publicist or anything but like if she were to listen to any of our episodes about ray though i would hope that it would be this one because this is the one that reflects a really like a range of different opinions and perspectives and shows that people have all these complex interactions with the character and how she's really helped them in some really really difficult serious situations and how awesome that is you know like if i were daisy to read stories like this and see how you've been like helping people like deal with their dad's like cancer diagnosis and stuff you know good grief (laughs) like that like just like as a viewer of star wars that is like emotional to me it makes me well up you know like i can't imagine how Mm. it'd feel if you're the actress who portrayed that character who meant so much to someone so yeah like thank you so much to all of you who have sent your emails in but it's been a ride to read them out but the best sort of ride because it's a ride of like warm gooey emotional feelings that are sometimes really sad feelings because obviously a lot of intense sad stories have been shared but for the most part it's just been really lovely to read these because it just reminds me about the power of these stories and why stories are so fundamental to us as humans to be honest i know that sounds a little bit arsy but it's just true they mean so much and they they can make a real positive difference to people's lives and that's awesome yeah and we've had quite a few emails from young people who are you know just starting out in life going to college making all of these big life changes and they obviously understandably relate to ray in these moments of change as you know she's in this coming of age story but 
speaking personally, when The Force Awakens came out, I was in my mid-twenties and getting to a point in my life when I was pretty settled. And still, Rey's story and Kylo's story, like, and, and Finn's story, because it was all thematically entwined in The Force Awakens, um, really helped me look back at my life and kind of look at what I was still struggling with, even if it was subconscious. It, it really helped me to like see these things being explored in this work of fiction and knowing that other people had been struck for similar reasons and kind of talking to them about it. And it's partly why I'm still talking about it years later and why I got so invested in the story in the first place. It felt pretty amazing and ambitious what the creators were trying to do at the beginning. And I know we've said like it didn't entirely land in every part for us, but it did in a lot of ways and it'll always be important to us for all of those reasons and not just us but everyone who's written in and everyone who's listening like you're still here you're still listening you're invested in star wars you want to keep hearing people talk about it you're thinking about it in lots of different ways and i don't know it just means that this is a really powerful character she has a really powerful story and i hope it's not the end for ray yeah I, I just really enjoyed recording this episode because yeah these emails have been waiting for a while but we never ever intended to just leave them there because they were too good for that you know people needed to hear people's stories and everyone has clearly put so much effort into crafting their emails like really there is just beautiful writing here like and again especially from some of the younger people like if I could write like that email when I was 16 gosh like I would be doing so much better in life right now (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no it's just really impressive and you guys are awesome so thank you so much because this episode literally exists because everyone took the time to write those emails and that is fantastic thank you everyone really appreciate it yeah no it's awesome so right it's time for us to close up so i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel1918 i'm kirsty and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde until next time bye bye